Methylation. You may have heard of this term before. It's a way that the body tags things, such as DNA and proteins, to allow for communication within the body. There's a process by which methyl, which is the hydrocarbon that is used in methylation, gets recycled. It's called the methylation cycle. But there's a lot of misconceptions about what this cycle does and how it works. And it's in a very important aspect, not just of physical health, but of mental health. Today on Ask Dr. Gill, I want to talk more about methylation and dispel some myths about how it works and how to test for problems. Welcome to Ask Dr. Gill. I'm Dr. Gill Winkleman. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, today, I want to talk about methylation in kind of a lot of detail or a fair amount of detail. And this is going to be technical. And if you're by a computer, it might be helpful to have the methylation diagram in front of you. So if you can, safely go to my website, you can find the diagram. It's at www.askdrgill.com, A-S-K-D-R-G-I-L.com, forward slash methylation hyphen therapy. That's M-E-T-H-Y-L-A-T-I-O-N hyphen T-H-E-R-A-P-Y. Um, if you can't get that diagram, that's fine. We'll, uh, you know, you can take a look at it later and it hopefully will make sense. But uh, that the diagram can be helpful to, to use while we're talking about this. And, you know, if you need to come back, download it and we can talk about it. But I'm going to talk about it as if you don't have it in front of me. So I'm going to describe it. So there's two cycles in the diagram that are important for our discussion. And the, the first is the methionine cycle. That's on the right. And they're connected with, uh, it's connected specifically to the folate cycle, which is on the left. Uh, much like the, the diagram or the, the names kind of describe, the folate cycle takes folate and uh, will we'll use that folate as part of the cycle. And it, then it comes together with the methionine cycle. And there's multiple steps here, by the way. But, but ultimately, what happens in the methionine cycle is that you take methionine, you convert that to SAMe, which then gets converted to homocysteine, and you're putting methyl into the, as part of that, you're putting methyl into the system. So methyl comes off, and you have homocysteine. The folate side, you're actually going to use methyl. So folate will go in and take methyl out of the system and by doing so, it allows our body to recycle homocysteine. This is important. Uh, this is important because homocysteine can be very toxic to the body. Uh, you know, it can create inflammation. There's theory that, that certain cancers and heart disease might be associated with high levels of homocysteine. And so this is where a lot of the uh, 
people who are big proponents of methylation and look at sort of the MTHFR defects, their sign of, their their attitude is we need to give folate, uh, methylfolate specifically, because by doing so, we're going to pull homocysteine out of the out of the body, and there may be some truth to that. And I'm going to I'm going to talk about this in a little more detail in a minute. But if you look at the diagram, you'll see that that um, as part of that, you, you want to use uh, um, you want to use the methylfolate in this situation because that's the one. If there's a problem in one of the genes. Uh, that's the one that is most active and potent to be able to do the homocysteine recycling. And, and so that's the, the thought process behind that. And in some cases, by the way, this is true. Uh, it is definitely true for a lot of people, and, and we will treat in this, this way uh, at times, even if this person is undermethylated, and I'll explain that in a minute. So, so that's kind of the big picture overview of the methionine cycle combined with the folate cycle, which is the, we call it the methyl cycles, it's, or methylation cycles. And the reason is, is on the, on the right side with the methionine cycle, you're, you're basically putting methyl into the system. Now, if there's a problem on that side, because there's not enough methyl and methyl's used to break down histamine, that's when we see the histamine levels start to go up. And that's what we would call an undermethylated or a, a histadelia state. And I have another uh, podcast about that and talking about the symptoms. And I don't want to go into details about that. But if you go to that page that I mentioned with this cycle on it, those are the, the, that's the article that talks about what that looks like. If you have the opposite issue, in other words, that the that the, the, there's too much methyl in the system, you're overmethylated, then, um, then there's not enough folate going in there and, you know, to break down and to kind of recycle everything. And homocysteine can go up in that, that situation as well. And, um, and in that case, you, don't, you, you have too little histamine. It's like the histamine just gets broken down with, the, with the, this excess methyl going on. And, and I did do a podcast about that, and there's also an article on the website about that. And, you know, you can check that out. And that's the low folate um, histopenia overmethylation. All of those are the same sort of um, construct, if you will. And, and I'm not going to talk about the symptoms about that because I really want to focus more on the cycle itself. And, I'm, and part of this, by the way, just as a quick aside, is I've had uh, multiple questions coming about this from both patients and from, you know, emails from people who listen to the podcast about wanting to hear more about, about the specific of methylation. And, and so, so that's kind of the, the big picture overview. What I, what I would say and where the questions sort of uh, come about is around the genetic testing. And so let, let's talk about this uh, more. So today I had a, a patient come in with all the genetic tests and basically he had an MTHFR defect, he had multiple MTHFR defects in the genetic test, but all of his symptoms uh, 
were the opposite. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Well, if you look at, uh, there's other methylation pathways. Mine, uh, my diagram doesn't go into this much detail, but there's other diagrams out there on the internet that look at specific methylation genetic defects and show where the blockage may be occurring. Now, let me give you an example of this so that it becomes a little clearer. So uh, the patient that I had this morning came in, they had a few defects, uh, mostly around the MTHFR uh, C677T gene and also the A11298C gene. And if you don't know what that is, it's not important, they're just genes. But when we test him, phenotypically, he's going to show up high histamine. And that would suggest that he's undermethylated. Now, the when you look at the cycle, those genes are actually on the left side, and you'd think that that if those genes aren't working, then he should be overmethylated. So it should be on the folate side of the methylation cycle. So let's take a quick break, and then I'm going to talk about why that may be and why we see these discrepancies in the testing. So stay tuned. Hey, welcome back to Ask Dr. Gill. I'm Dr. Gill Winkleman. Uh, before we continue about methylation, I just want to tell you that if you have any questions or you have topics that you want to hear me cover, feel free to send an email to info at askdrgil.com. That's info at askdrgill.com. And also, I am working on a book. I have a few topic ideas in mind. I'm going to be posting this on my website here soon. <clears throat> and I, I want to hear what you would like me to write about, uh, because ultimately this is not for me. It's for you, the listener and my audience. So if there's a topic idea, send me an email. I'd love to hear about it. And uh, I'll see, you know, kind of what makes sense. And it, it Typically, it's around mental health issues and how the intersection between the biology and the thought, you know, the emotion. So, so let's return back to the methylation cycle because this is this is the piece that becomes really interesting. And, and let me give you a little uh, personal background. So, my and I, I may have mentioned this. My uh, background: I have a genetics degree from Berkeley, and I was peripherally involved with Human Genome Project and. When we started Human Genome, we were expecting to find about 100,000 genes in the human body. The theory was is that each gene produced one protein, and so everything was discrete and, and, and different in that. And it turns out that that wasn't what we found. We, we, you know, by the time that the, the project was done, there, there I think it was 23,478 genes that were found in the human body. They were expecting to find about 25,000 regulatory genes. So there's more, there's fewer genes rather in the body than they, they predicted in terms of the regulatory aspect of the DNA. Since then, by the way, in the last 15 years or so, that number of genes in the human body has been, uh, you know, gone down 
that they think now there's only around 17,900. So clearly there's something amiss about this. And so part of the, the theory behind the one gene, one protein had to do with diseases such as sickle cell anemia. And in sickle cell, you'd have a point mutation, like there'd be one base pair that was off. And because it was off, it changed the way that the gene functioned. So instead of creating this nice round shape of a red blood cell, you'd have, it would be called a sickled cell. It, it wasn't perfectly round. It looked more like, you know, a, sick, a scythe, you know, that's the sickle shape, crescent kind of shape. And that actually created an advantage if you only had one copy of that gene, because it was less likely that malaria would, would affect you as a result of that. But if you had two copies, you couldn't really bind oxygen very well, and, and you could get sick uh, very easily. So, so that's kind of the thought process. And, and so when this was discovered, scientists thought, oh, this is the answer to everything. And, and there's still a lot of that thought process that's permeating in the, the, you know, the main, mainstream scientific community and in particular in the medical community. But when you look at the research, it actually doesn't pan out that way for everything. So sickle cell, that gene is relatively small. And so one base pair uh, change has a big effect. MTHFR is a gigantic gene. And it one base pair change may or may not have the effect that we think it has. You know, so it's the analogy I've heard is, is if you have a bus that you're driving and or a truck and there's 12 tires on the truck and one of them goes out, you kind of, you, you'll notice that, like it'll, you'll feel something. But if the truck has like a hundred tires on it or 200 tires on it and one of them blows out, you're not going to notice it. It's not as big of an impact. And that's kind of the same idea. That's one of the thought processes behind why these MTHFR genes show, you know, discrepancy in terms of what, how the body uh, is affected. So um, I think I mentioned this in another podcast, probably about half, 40 to 50% of the patients that I see who have the MTHFR defect are overmethylated, which is what you would expect. You'd actually, if the theory were right, you'd expect 100% of them to be this. But it's, it's not as many, it's nowhere near 100, and it's probably only as high as 50%, maybe 40%. Um, the majority of the people that I've seen with a MTHFR defect actually show up with high histamine. They're undermethylated. And if you look at the, the methylation cycle, that doesn't make sense. I mean, it's it sort of, you know, it, in terms of the theory, it, like it doesn't make sense. So the other possibility, by the way, is there's something else going on in here. And, you know, another piece to the cycle. And that's probably the most likely explanation. So you, you may have an MTHFR defect, and maybe the body can recycle the folate in a different way. So that's why you're not showing up with folate issues. Maybe it can recycle the homocysteine in a different way. There's lots of people who have these, you know, they're called SNPs, that don't have any symptoms and never have any symptoms. They live a really, really long life. And, um, you know, it's sort of just how it is. Uh, my grandmother, for example, I'm pretty sure she had some, you know, based on some of the issues she had in her life, uh, had some kind of MTHFR 
uh, or, you know, methylation issue going on. She, she lived well into her 90s and for the most part was, was very active and healthy. So it's sort of, it's like, well, you know, what, what, what is that about? What, we don't really know. So um, what I will say, though, is that if regardless of, of what the uh, g- genetics look like, Looking at the the phenotype is important. Looking at sort of how you test. Looking at what the histamine looks like, or how, you know, is it high or is it low, and then also being aware of what the homocysteine looks like. Because if you're not recycling the homocysteine, that can create problems long term. And in, in fact, I, I alluded to this at the beginning. There are people who have uh, methionine cycle side defects on the methylation. In other words, they're under-methylated. And typically, we, you know, we look at their homocysteine, and if the homocysteine's high, we're going to give them folate to bring that down. And it sometimes can make the psychological symptoms worse, but physically, it's, you know, from a, from a medical perspective, it's a much, much better approach because we, we want to bring that homocysteine down. It can't you know, we can't have it be high, and folate is the most direct way to help recycle that. There are other ways, and if you look at the diagram on, on the website, you'll see that we can actually recycle homocysteine into, uh, into glutathione, and, um, and it can actually be recycled to sort of become a, a garbage collector. Glutathione is used by the body to help um, detoxify in the liver, and particularly, you know, stuff like Tylenol, for example, you need high levels of glutathione. And you can actually uh, drive production of that using L-methionine. So on the other hand, some people with these methylation defects, L-methionine can be toxic to the person. So this is where, you know, knowing sort of how the, how the system works, there are tests for this. I do tests, uh, the methylation cycle testing, and it's not a genetic test. So the genetic test, I don't think, gives us that information. It just tells us what genes may or may not be working. But we don't really know until we look in more details at the meth- you know, the methionine, the SAMe, the homocysteine, the histamine, and so forth. So, so that's, that's my methylation cycle talk. And uh, I hope this was helpful. Uh, definitely, if you haven't, go check the, the website out. It's askdrgill.com slash methylation dash therapy. And, you know, you can get more information there in terms of the mental health aspect of things. Uh, And like I said before, if you have a topic you want to hear covered or a question, a specific question, I am happy to uh, read your email about it, info at askdrgill.com, I-N-F-O at A-S-K-D-R-G-I-L.com. And, you know, I've gotten really good emails that have made really good topics for the show. So, yeah, feel free. Please, please send them my way. So that's all. Hope you guys have a great week. And I will check in next week. Take care.